Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Go to okay. the Science Museum. and oh, It's from Hamleys, actually. Other expensive toy shops are available. Hello and welcome to the In For A Penny podcast. I'm Mark Schoffman, a freelance personal finance journalist, and I'm joined by my financial planner friend, Joshua Gersler, who runs an advisory business called The Orchard Practice. Hello. If you'd like to know a little bit more about us, you can check me out at www.cavendishcontent.com and josh at www.topfs.co.uk. Each episode, we aim to give our perspective on the world of finance and money, and discuss some of the issues that crop up in business as well as everyday life. We hope that you'll learn something from our podcast as well as have some fun too. Hit the subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. Here we are again, uh, rainy day. These, um, I don't know if we mentioned storms on previous episodes, but we've been having quite stormy weather in good old blighty. We have, um, haven't we? Yeah, and now I feel like it stopped for a bit, and now it's very rainy and very windy, and it's sort of March. We were recording this in, in the beginning of March, so who, we who cares? Units, didn't we? Yeah, but I thought and then storm. Um, who was after that? Frederick or something? Something, something with F. No, maybe Storm Gersler is next. Storm Gersler. What would yeah. your What would your What would you do if you were a storm? I'd, I'd be just blowing wind all day. Would you? Ju- would you just be the kind of windy type or would, would there be rain as well um i would be going for like hell for leather it would be like enormous gusts of wind yeah. sideways rain i get a tornado going you know i go all out what do you, do you have a sort of gale force in mind like how many miles per hour whatever the maximum is i'm going for it it'd be like in um, the wizard of oz yeah i if i were a storm i'd want to be the one well the st- last storm we had my dog was in the garden and it, it was windy and it was like, looked like he was having a facelift. His fur was like pushed all the way back. It was very funny. That's nice. the type of storm you I want to be. storm that gives dogs yeah, okay. facelifts. I can imagine you wouldn't be. I reckon you'd be like a gentle breeze, like gentle. someone just That's how people describe a, me. Yeah. Yeah. That's my someone style. just fanning you gently, feeding you grapes, whereas yeah. I'm going like whirlwind. Yeah. Uh, we're going to come back to um, stormy environments shortly. Stormy stock markets. Uh, I wanted. I need to um, apologise to listeners and keen counters because I made a mistake on our past previous episode and um, said that it was episode seventy and it was our yeah. jubilee episode when actually it was seventy-one. I was. So, yeah. <laughs> so our podcast editor uh, James Eid. I'm going to give him a shout out. That's his name, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Shout <laughs> out James. Yeah. Uh, did a very good job of putting. Um, a royal um, theme tune on it. Jingle. Did he? Yeah. In episode 71? 71, yeah. So is this episode 72, Mark, just to clarify? Yes, this is episode 72. Um, okay. Feel free to listen to these in any order. And maybe if you want to skip 70 and go to 71, and then... For some people, this could be like the 50th episode. Hurrah! Exactly, yeah. Just going to sip my tea and I'll come back to you in a minute. Why don't we just make this episode 100? <laughs> you just spat your tea out there, Mark. Spat my tea. That's funny. Who's counting anyway? Exactly. We're not, obviously. Mm. Um, so we are uh, obviously jovial here, and but we are talking in uncertain times at the moment because we've got the Russian invasion of Ukraine 
going on. It doesn't look good, does it? It doesn't look good. It's all gone a bit crazy after sort of months of or weeks of rumours and the Russians saying, oh no, we're not invading, we're just building these military hospitals and lining our tanks up for, for training on the border. Yeah, we're just it's just toy soldiers. It's not you know, it's yeah. not real. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I, I don't know if anyone did believe it, but mm. I wouldn't have thought in today's world, what are we in the twenty first century, twenty second century, whatever it is. Yeah. That um, yeah, that this still this type of thing happened. I didn't mm. imagine a country actually invading another country. Yeah. And it's weird I, seeing I, it playing out on social media, like people who've had to who are live tweeting their walk to Poland to kind of escape to safety or yeah because the first yeah. time it's really happened in modern times when you've yeah. got all this whereas I get it's in some countries you still have civil war and things inside the country but I didn't expect something like this horrendous yeah so obviously terrible for the people there and a lot of um but it's also had an impact on the stock markets uh particularly because um of oil prices there's uncertainty about um oil distribution although the uk only takes about i think it's six percent of its oil from russia little okay. fact for you there uh but okay. i guess the theory is if that's shut off and then there's demand elsewhere it just pushes up the price for everyone and we've already seen uh petrol prices reach record highs in the uk it's, it's like um, 150p per liter now 150.9 yeah. or whatever it's never yeah. 150p is it so, and that's kind of exacerbated the fears of this cost of living crisis and rising inflation that we're already in, which is hitting stock markets. And people may look at their investments. I'll just interrupt. Yeah. Um, that was a good use of the word exacerbated. Well Thank you. Tick. Uh, don't ask me to spell it. And then uh, it's particularly probably challenging if you're about to build your, use your ISA allowance and you're seeing stock markets falling and you want to, kind of start investing you've got all this to worry about um and i know you've got very much a very um not lack not not relaxed but very much you're all about the long-term investing and not wor- not worrying about these small speed bumps so i don't want to talk about whether you should worry specifically about russia and ukraine because okay we should worry about russia and ukraine but you shouldn't necessarily worry about your investments if you're a long-term investor because okay. you can fill in the blanks okay because you should worry about the long term. And if you stick to your plan and you're diversified, then you'll be all right. Correct? Yes. Good. So you don't want to talk about that. I, don't want, to talk, want to so talk about. I would just want to talk about risk. Always likely surprises. Well, I think risk, the importance of, because I think this is an interesting illustration of the difference between risk and volatility. Oh, very good. Because, well, let's, let's go through it and let's chat about it. Because I think this okay. shows why you don't necessarily have to worry specifically about this issue. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about risk. Okay. Okay. How do you define risk? Oh, that's that's. I mean, I would, if I knew that was that was going to be the question, I would try to prepare a, a proper answer to how you define risk. But I think there are different types of risk. That's probably more the question. There are different types of risk to to all of us, and the the biggest risk probably is that. You run out of money before you run out of life. Interesting. Okay, so you, in your old age, you run out of money and you have to choose between heating and eating. You know, you're on the breadline. I think that's probably the biggest risk to most people yeah. that the money runs out whilst they're still alive. Um, but then you've got 
all the technical types of risk that we have to look at when we're giving advice. Things like um, investment risk, liquidity risk, systematic risk, um, systemic risk, um, just, just to name a few there. Yeah. So risk is a big topic, but I think... Are you are you sort of asking from an investment point of view? What yes. risk? Yeah. Purely the investment risk. Purely the investment. Think, yeah. So if if you were to strip it back, you could say the that risk is that you lose your money, you lose your capital. So you put I don't know a hundred grand into Apple shares, and Apple goes bust. So the risk is that you lose your money. Or um, you put a million pounds into Cavendish content and Cavendish content goes bust and you lose your money. That's, that's the risk to your money. But for most people, you, people, most people don't just put all their money in one particular share. Hmm. So, you, so you reduce that risk by spreading your money across different assets, but not having all your eggs in one basket yeah so if you've got as an example money in apple um i'm going to sort of think about like electronics companies apple samsung lv sony all all things like that you've reduced your risk a bit because if apple goes bust you've still got money in the other companies then you could take it, I guess, up to the next level. It says, well, what happens if the electronics industry collapses? Mm-hmm. Because if all your money is in the electronics industry, and let's say tomorrow the government say no more electronics, you know, I'm being a bit extreme here, but all those companies go bust, you've lost your money. So then you might say, okay, well, as well as having money in Apple, Samsung, LV, and all those others, I'll also have money in supermarkets. So I'm going to put some money in Tesco's, Ricardo, uh, Sainsbury's, you know, to, to name a few. So if the electronics market goes under, you're still protected in the um, supermarket market. Supermarket market, yep. And then if we, I guess, miss out the next few steps, and then you say, okay, well, what's the best way to combat this? So it's not to buy individual shares. It's to potentially buy into the funds mm-hmm. where a fund manager will spread your money over different investments, different um, asset classes, different geographies. So you'll have money in England, America, China, yes, let's say Russia, all over the world. And you'll have it in different sectors, electronics, supermarkets, um, looking around the room, uh, hand gel, chocolates, why are you in cuddly your toy? toy. <laughs> no, I'm in the the meeting room. Cuddly toy, um, dishwashers. What are you doing? I'm doing the bit now on the conveyor belt and the I generation see, game yes. and everything. Goes champagne glasses, yeah, um, and a speedboat. Speedboat. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you, you so you're spread across all these different areas. So that if one particular fund, uh, one sorry, one particular share or sector doesn't perform you shouldn't be overly impacted because you're spread across different areas. So let's say you reduce the risk in an investment portfolio at a very high level explained in two minutes. And but there, so there are obviously some assets that are more risky than others in some sectors and regions. 
yeah and and that will change over time as well so um let's take electronics as an example so when something like apple first came about in the i don't know was it the 80s maybe yeah um and i'm i don't know the exact history but buying apple shares would have been considered really risky and putting money into electronics to that point home computers and personal products would have been considered really high risk whereas now that's like a staple for a lot of people's investment portfolios is doing these things but over time things will change so having um uh money in if we go back let's say again like 30 years in things like photography kodak and companies like that fujitsu would have been like a really stable investment whereas nowadays they don't exist some of these companies so things change over time so where's a sector might be risky at one point it could be a few years later be the the obvious and same with countries so at the moment you're not going to put suddenly put a load of money in russia or you wouldn't have done a few weeks ago but it might be that in a year's time that's a great place to put your money i don't i'm not suggesting that but i'm just giving it as an example okay um, and what about uh, assets specifically let's say obviously shares are seen as are shares seen as the most risky type of investment of investment compared to something like obviously cash or when there's bonds so i think this goes back to your point there about risk versus volatility right should we go on to yeah. volatility then yeah go on okay so how would you def- so we define so risk is more well, risk is what you just said so, so. <laughs> yeah risk is what he said risk is what, so risk is uh, investing in certain assets and they all have different levels where, um, so you could lose your money but you could also make big gains yeah no I wouldn't say that is no risk I think that's probably the opposite of what I'm trying to get to okay um, I think risk is you not being able to achieve your goals I think that is the risk that you have to always think about when you're making investment and financial planning decisions. But what about the risk when choosing an asset to invest in, though? I think it's, as I said, I think it's only a risk if you are, um, I'll add a bit in that to to this. I think it's only a, a risk if you are making uninformed, uneducated decisions and speculating on one particular company. If you're making informed decisions and educated decisions and diversifying, the risk is minimal. Okay. So let's move on to volatility. So Mark, how would you define volatility? My understanding of volatility, (laughs) and you've already blown my mind on your risk definitions, is um, the ups ups and downs. That's me doing a blow your mind sound. I don't know whether James can put a better one in. Yeah. James, please add an explosion (laughs) or something. to me, volatility is the ups and downs that a specific share or market can have while you're investing. And you accept that some sectors or shares or assets are more volatile than others, but you take that as part of your as part of investing. Yeah, I think that's uh, probably pretty close to how I would define it, which I won't do. Um no, I think that's a good that's a good one. The volatility, I would say, is the, is the ups and downs in the value of your investments. Mm-hmm. So you buy a million pounds worth of your investments today, 
and in a month's time that's worth 1.1 million and then the next month it's worth 900,000 and then it's 950 and then it's one and a half million and then it's I'm making numbers up so I could go all day but it's the ups and downs that, that you'll have in your investment portfolio and for most people if you have a sensible investment portfolio you will have that volatility you will accept that volatility uh, knowing that over the long term you will be in an up position so you'll have temporary declines along the way but the onwards march will and upwards march will continue and and history has proven that to be the case so as an investor should you be thinking about how much risk you can take or should you be thinking about how much volatility you can take um a bit of both there so i think we can pull them together here so the volatility needs to come into it where you need to know how much and when you're going to access your money so that's where a good financial plan comes into place so if you are not touching your money for 5 10 15 50 years or if you if you uh, even better position than ever and you're passing it down from generation to generation you can accept all, all manner of volatility because you don't need to access the money if you are let's say putting money where you're going to buy fees or whatever it may be I've lost you Mark are you there? I'm here oh, your camera's gone off yep much better actually without seeing you okay um if you if you are needing to access money, then you've got to be a bit more considered with the volatility because you don't want to be in a position where you put your million pounds away, your house is going to cost you a million pounds, and in two years' time, when you're due to access that to buy the house, the the cash is only the investment is only worth eight hundred thousand pounds. So you need to be more considered when there's a shorter term need for the money, but in the long term, volatility is your friend. So. What about your attitude to risk? How does that relate to volatility or does it relate to volatility? I think I, I, I'm, I think we might have discussed this a little bit in the past, but I think you're, that there's the FCA definition of attitude to risk and there's the compliance uh, route we have to go down to get everyone to confirm their attitude to risk. But again, I think the bigger issue is not if if you are financially competent, confident, and financially literate, you will understand that the the volatility, the ups and downs, are the, the key to the whole success. If there were no ups and downs, you wouldn't ever get any gains. If you let's say you put, um, let's take a bank account, there are no downs in the capital value of the money you put in the bank you put a million pounds in the bank and let's assume it's a free bank account and you're not paying fees that amount is never going to go below a million pounds but you're only going to get paid very little the reward is very little for keeping your money in the bank whereas when you invest in the wider world in the stock market and the great businesses of the world you understand that there's going to be downs, but that's why you then benefit from the ups. But do you need to know how big a risk appetite you have to see how much volatility you'll accept without panicking? Yeah, you 
Yes and no. So you have to understand how it all works. But if you say to me, what's my risk appetite? Well, I don't want to lose my money. So my risk appetite for losing my all my money is zero. Yeah, but isn't your risk appetite how doesn't your risk appetite reflect how much the type of assets you're willing and shares you're willing to invest in or even the funds you're willing? Because if you had a high risk appetite, you may say, Oh, I want to put loads of money into emerging market funds or something. Well, I think it's a it's a bit different today. It does come back to the definition of risk and and achieving your your goal. So if you are financially secure for the rest of your life, so you've got enough money now, I think that's more of a valid point where you say, okay, I'm prepared to lose, completely lose some of my money and I'm going to put it in, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of something ridiculous that you wouldn't invest in now. Cryptocurrencies, NFTs. <laughs> yeah, but people would put it in that, but I'm thinking of some. I don't know, Something that's Chelsea. Yeah. Well, so, but so if you have all the money you need and you could say, I, re, I, you more sort of get in the realm of I'm prepared to gamble some of my money because I don't care what happens to it. If you are a normal person, then, and you, ha- and you haven't yet achieved your financial goals, then you have to invest. And you have to be prepared to accept the volatility. And I think that's more of the, the point than the, the risk. Because with a, with a well-diversified portfolio, the chances of your investment going to zero are so slim because you're so well spread out across all these different investments. So if you are sensible, you will take as much traditional investment risk as possible. So putting as much into equities as possible because that's where you will receive the long-term gains. So I think it's more a being educated to understand, well, am I going to panic? If I see these big swings in my investment values, am I going to panic? And am I going to take negative action because of that? So if we go back to COVID, There was a day, and I can't remember exactly how much the market was down, but there was a period where there was a big dip in the market. And a lot of people panicked Mm. and sold out of their investments and put it into cash because they considered that low risk. But then over the next few days and months, we saw that the market shot up again and far exceeded where it was before. So I think your behavior and how you act within certain situations is more important than what you think your risk appetite is. And any good financial advisor, so before you say, I'll say it, that rules me out, but any good financial advisor, financial planner will be there to help you with the behaviour in this, when these difficult times happen. But I'm just trying to nail this, because are you saying you don't need to worry about your risk appetite because i don't see how you decide if, if you're not using an advisor because not everyone wants to or does how do you decide where or how to invest if you don't know your attitude to risk if you don't know your risk appetite what do you define as attitude to risk or risk appetite i'll chuck another definition question back at you um how well it probably overlaps with volatility but how much of a loss you're willing to take in order to make a bigger gain. 
Okay, so let me let me ask you on that one. So when you say how big a loss you're prepared to take, or, what do you mean by take a loss? Not, I mean how big, how far you're you can stomach or you're willing to see your assets fall. What your trade off is, I guess, between how much an asset, uh, investment could fall compared with how much it could rise. So, so most of us, including um, professionals who do this. It's human nature that the, the the declines, we feel the pain from the declines more than the excitement from the gains. So from a human nature point of view, most of us will say, well, I'd rather actually it was a bit more stable. But if you know what you're doing, then actually it's not about the ups and downs, it goes back to what I said before, it's about the time frame. If you are investing for the long term and you believe in human ingenuity and that the, the stock markets and the great businesses of the world will continue to progress and be profitable and grow, then really you should have all your money in equities. Mm. But if you need money in the short term, that's when you've got to think about not how much risk you're prepared to take, because I don't think the risk part of it changes how much volatility you can accept. And then at what point in that thinking are you deciding which type of equities? Because isn't that where the risk comes in as well? It's, well, let's go back right to the beginning. It's The risk is then I'm just going to pick five shares to put my money in. That's, that, that, that's, high, that's a high-risk strategy. No, but I could pick, I, I, I could pick five established shares I mean, that's still not enough. I could pick 10 established shares, I don't know, to build a portfolio. Yeah. And then, or I could pick 10 shares on the alternative investment market. Now, the, the alternative investment market ones are obviously going to be more risky than, I don't know, FTSE 100 blue chip stocks. If you're picking them randomly out of hat, then yes. If you are doing thorough research, then you would have picked those 10 companies for a specific reason. So no, not necessarily. Okay, but you're. But are we saying you could pick ten alternative investment market stocks that would be less risky than ten FTSE stocks, blue chips? I think you could. Yeah, I mean, don't don't. Sounds like a challenge. The, no, obviously, yeah, yeah. We're, not, we're not doing stock recommendations. Okay, no, but, but I, I imagine, and yeah, this isn't really that our, our realm, is it? Yeah. But I imagine if you, and this is where the, this is. This is not my area of expertise. This is what we would use a fund manager for. But if you're really doing your research properly, which is what they're paid to get to do, you could pick 10 AIM companies that will outperform 10 um, FTSE companies and be less volatile because you're getting really down to a granular level. But that's not the sensible way to invest. It's going like a up to the top of this, let's say, pyramid. Hmm. And being spread across different funds, different geographies, different asset classes, so that you don't have to worry about the risk. Okay. The whole point is this: if you've got a well-diversified portfolio, you're taking away the risk. Any so, um, Colin? No, you go. I was going to say we know that seventy-five percent of the time, on a year, on an annual basis, markets are positive. And 25% of the time, they tend to be negative. 
So out of 100 years, you've probably got 75 years where the markets go up and 25 where they go down. Hmm. And we also know that in an individual year, the the average sort of uh, decline from the market from the intra year decline from the highs to the lows can be about fifteen percent on a typical year. That's volatility. That happens. That's you just have to accept that if you want to invest in and grow your wealth. So, and then and then that I guess brings it back to the Russia Ukraine point, doesn't it? That we may be in a volatile period now, but that doesn't mean investing has become more risky correct so if um i haven't done this so i don't i don't know what the answer is but normally when markets are declining which they are doing temporarily at the moment that's when you want to put your money in hmm. if things are down let's let's buy it you know the stock market is on sale buy one and get one free or whatever it may be when uh you it doesn't make sense why you'd be really want to buy in when everything's at a high, you know, when they put the prices up. Mm. So it might be that now is a great time to be putting your money into Russia. If all their assets are plummeted, this is, I, I said it might be because I haven't even looked into this and it's not a recommendation I would make, mm. but it might be that whilst the things are terrible there from a financial point of view, it's a good time to buy up the, investments because in the hope that life gets back to normal and over a period of time whether that be a year or 20 years those investments become profitable i mean there's all the sanctions and all the financial restrictions but i see what you're saying i think yeah yeah or companies that deal with russia or or russian currency this is not a recommendation it's not something i'm going to be doing um i i more diverse, much more diversified than that. But just be, like, so going back to what you're saying, just because um, there is current volatility, it doesn't mean your overall portfolio suddenly become more risky. If you've got a long-term plan, you stick to it. Okay. Have you had any, I often do this to you, but have you had any clients phone you up about Russia and Ukraine? Um, I haven't actually. No one has call it up and that's either because they are perfectly trained and they know not to not to worry yeah or because they're waiting for me to call them yeah well, i haven't, I haven't made any i haven't made outgoing calls about it at the moment because i don't think uh from a financial point of view we're, we're having any impact um covid for instance it was a, a massive thing and we we called every single one of the clients yeah what just through it yeah if Things got really bad. I mean, things are bad, but if things got to World War Three bad, which obviously isn't nice to think about, is that a big event where you start calling clients up? If World War Three happens, um, no, it's it's party time for me. You know, we're just because uh, the world will end. If world if if there's another world war, it yeah. it, it goes nuclear. The world is coming to an end. So that's a wow. Okay, I didn't really, I didn't think you would have. Go there, but good. Okay, go on. Tell me yeah, more about so, uh, yeah, so I'm not, uh, there's no point calling clients because we'll all be gone. So I would say to everyone, you know, make the most of your time, enjoy it, spend time with your loved ones, party, because the world, the world is ending. The, okay. the end is nigh. I was going to get, was, we can't end the podcast on that, so we need to find a happier note to um, end it on. Obviously, we don't, hopefully that won't happen. 
I'm sure it won't. Um, but good, springs on the way. <laughs> I'm glad I teared you up at the end of this podcast. Mark, what's that uh, red book on its side behind you? Uh, this, it's you can't, it's no, on that. What's that? It's just a, um, it had a spinning disc that we got from a science museum, which was a... That's not a red book. No, it's not a book. It's a box. Oh, it's just a box. A box no, which had a spinning disc on the inside and it was, claims that it can float mysteriously. I don't want to give it away, but it's not it's not floating mysteriously. Go to okay. a science museum and oh, it's from Hamleys actually. Other expensive toy shops are available. <laughs> well I think so that's all we've got time for. I hope hopefully I'll see you next time. Yeah, I hope everyone enjoyed our hundredth episode. <laughs> Please remember, anything discussed in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice. But if you do need support, feel free to contact us on Twitter. You can reach me at Mark Schoffman and Josh at Josh Gersler. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Please leave us a review on your podcasting app that helps people find us and lets us know you're enjoying what you hear. So thank you for being in for a penny. <laughs> <laughs>